0: Uh, Next up is going to be Ola Hadi. Ola's book is over there. Here, I'm going to go grab it. Hold on. It's called The Moon and Metaphor. It's a beautiful book. She had one of her friends do the artwork in this book. And it's just, this book is beautiful. It's just beautiful. That's all. It's just beautiful. Anyway, I mean, yeah, beautiful book. Great read, Ola's over there. I haven't seen her read in a while. I'm gonna be straight about honest with you guys. I haven't seen Ola in a while because I don't get to see her. She teaches and she's serious about it. No, you can say, and she also does yoga and she's serious about that too. And she does rock climbing. And she's serious about that. She's serious about a lot of stuff. But I love you, Ola. Aww, I love you too, Thank you. So Ola Howdy's gonna read next. She used to run Drunk Poet Society at Winston's every Monday. That's where, yeah. I see many people who are here, who are there, and so she knows the community. And I'm glad she decided to come. Thank you Thank for you coming. For inviting me. Thank you. And I'm gonna get out of the way. What? What? You got? You got? Look, you got all modern and shit. Modern, yeah. I read off of a phone. All right. And. Gosh,
1: It's so good to see you guys. It's so nice to see some former poets. I have been MIA. Um, As Ted says, I'm pretty serious all the time. Um, One of my good friends is here and she also knows our teaching job and it's pretty busy. So I'm really involved in my union. I've learned a lot about yoga in the last few years. I've also been traveling a lot. So I've gone to India for, you know, a little while and Costa Rica and Puerto Rico and Mexico. And um, one of my goals next year is to get back in touch with the community. So I'm going to be stalking Michael Klam's little get-togethers and seeing where everybody's at. So i um, really excited to be reading here. Thanks, Ted, for helping me uh, make this book possible. If you want to get a copy of this book, you can talk to Ted. Um, so I'll, I'll start... Um, I. I think this poem is in here, but I don't know. But yeah, some of the artwork is just super gorgeous, so take a look. Um, Some of the things that inspire me are historical topics, and I teach history. So spots on the sun, mountains on the moon, proof of the imperfection of the institution. I would be moved to a higher truth if the elevation was ever proved, but observation, reason, youth, bar me from heaven. Far removed. Crush the damn thing. Okay. A little bit of enlightenment stuff. Let's see. I like when there's people here who, who can get my historical references. Let's do this one. This is um, from again from the book and I think some really pretty artwork. Uh, the window pink satin curtain billows, blows in salt, shares a Serulean sky where white surf giggles, flirts with the horizons, and shines a faint sulfur smile. The still sill beneath cuts the happy scene with one dark revolver, menacing, and unsure of itself or dawn. It can get dark, it can happen. All right, this one's called Meet Me. There is a ticking biological propensity that screams then wrings its hands only to ultimately put them up. Yes, there's a hunt, a prowl, an hour when it's nail and tooth and time when the thing sinks deeply into fresh flesh but cleanly comes out unattached. Meet me there in that reality, dream, creation where there is a meeting of the minds and a meeting of desires and no one scripted path to be leading anyone on. Because in these very modern times, the roads are an unstable sort of blur. I know I am just one traveler. You may not even know where you plan to go, and I don't plan to follow. I have my own feet and freedom and goals. Frankly, I am not along for the ride, but I am alive right now, so laugh as hard as you want with me. Let's be full-blown real, totally in a together world, come closer whisper all of your dark secrets your tortured past your silver dreams of future your tannic taste in red but if the road ends you will not find me dead with it so let's meet not in the middle not in the script but in our created reality so no matter what at least we will have truly met and in these modern times we may not have paris but we'll always have that These are books from, from the poem, but, you know, I've been writing since, here and there. Um, I'm not as techy as I appear with my fancy iPad. <laughs> but uh, I took pictures of the Word documents where I... Because <laughs> I, I couldn't figure out how to download them onto this thing, so it's complicated. Because, yeah, the technology. So, this one's called um, Adults. Adults are boring, fascinating things, trying, always trying, even when they give in. It's exhausting. Show me to the swings. Let us yell with wild abandon and chase each other recklessly and play and play. To adults, you must explain the need to breathe, the need to move, prove or worse, accept some dumb imagined truth. I tire of the argument, not because it is not worth having, but because it is so boring. Trite. I'd rather be playing and exploring while the automatons go achieving being good by some boring yardstick till they kick the bucket. Fuck that noise. Kick up dust. Enjoy the chaos, girls and boys. You guys having fun? Yeah? Is everybody drinking? Repeat drunk poets, yeah? Yep, yep. This one's short. Fingers floating on bare skin, lips nuzzling inhuman, nails digging into flesh, echoes of wild screams in deep entanglement. I you guys like poetry. What's up? <laughs> all right, cool. Um, this one's kind of dark. I told you I get dark. Uh, this is, um, uh, yeah, I mean, we all go through really serious things that change our perspective, and uh, not to totally dampen the mood, but this was um, after someone's wife had passed. I wrote this poem. It's called The Letter on the Death of Love. I think this was partly what inspired it. This was... A while ago, 2000, mm, 2009. The stretch of the blue-green ocean fulfills our colorless inner horizons, takes the black and white world and touches everything with rainbows, brightens with beauty, authenticity, a completely different point of view. And even though it's not a deity or person, just a force, it's tremendous, it's intense. It's what makes you feel like you are alive. Love does this too. To take a dip to test the water for the first time, to be ankle deep or really in it, with droplets on your eyelashes, is euphoric. It's the perfect moment, yes for a minute, yes for forever. You are swimming in universal love and peace in every single cell of your essence. When you swim with someone you really love, I mean, feet off the floor, floating in a feeling of, breathtaking, wow, that is being alive. Breathing in positive pieces of them, sunshine, air, happiness. But the waves move. They change, they slam down into sharp rocks, turn surfer athletes into cripples, drown little toddlers in cold blood, and it hurts to think about something so beautiful, so true, the pinnacle of happiness being the same source of overwhelming sadness. It's too cruel. I want to tell you it will be okay. I want to say at least you know you are capable of 30 years of a loving marriage. You you appreciated your best friend. You said, I love you often. You were a good husband. Her death doesn't take that love away. The beauty that you had, that you held for so many years, sustained through ups and downs, that was yours and hers and untouchable for so long. It would be wrong to look at that and only mourn. The love you had should make you smile someday again. Not now. Now you are dealing with the pain. Don't pretend. Sleep, hurt, heal. Tell everyone to go to hell if it will make you feel a little less tortured. I hate to see you wring your hands around the Budweiser cap, digging into flesh, so helpless, so early in the day, sitting at the top of the staircase alone, looking from side to side, not seeing, saying, what's the point? There's no point left. She got a virus, and in four days, I watched her die. Her heart stopped beating, but she could have taken mine. I don't need it. This sucks. It breaks my heart, and I feel all the guilt, all the hurt, all the force with which you mumble. I don't know how to feed the cats. And it's like that. It's everything. It's in every little part of your life affected. It's your whole world gone. When the love you had is not coming back. And it's always too sudden. I'm crying with you, picturing her coming home, climbing the stairs with groceries, and I'm wondering what you are picturing on the staircase now. And I would never tell you this, but I agree. What's the point? If I lost the love of my life after 30 years on our anniversary, I don't think I'd go on. In a black and white world without their colors, might as well go blind. I don't know what the reasons are for living, what the reasons are for the ones we love leaving and taking all the beauty with them, leaving a big gaping hole where our hearts used to be, where our lives used to be, laughing at our fantasies of the future. I want to tell you to look up, but you're right, it sucks. I am like you. I keep looking and not seeing the point, not seeing the reason, not seeing the beauty. I'm so sorry for your loss. We are in a universe of powerful oceans, more powerful emotions, powerful loss. All I can say is you did nothing wrong. You are a wonderful person. Your love was beautiful. It's okay to hurt. Reread that please, again. I'm here to talk. I'm here to listen. I'm here to hug. It's a process. It will take time. We don't know why things happen. Be kind to yourself right now. And when you feel like everything left looks ugly, it should. Because right now, it does. But it didn't always, and we'll cross our fingers about the mystery of what comes next. But when life looks its ugliest, let me curse it with you. Let me help you feed the cats. Let us cheer to her memory. Let us think about how great she was. You have suffered a great loss. Do your best to be gentle with yourself. It's a process. There's an ebb and flow of healing. Be with that feeling. This too shall pass. doing on time good 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 try to think about how how much to bring you down (laughs) because the next one's called one vast concentration camp so (laughs) let's see (laughs) forgot to download the positive ones let's do this one then we'll bring it back up hold on okay The search for a man in full is the search for who you really are beyond the emotional mirror held up by the storytellers. It is a search for fraternity forged in the courage to find reality, for equals and equality, ultimately for the human self, for those who are brave enough to look. I know that there is no denying that a just cause may not be as important as land and bread, as dignity. But if you decide nonetheless to critically address what passes for natural, because no matter how hard you try, you can't deny a world where most exist on the margins, hungry, desperate, poor, in one vast concentration camp, while you and I consider being comrades against any who would try to label us as this or that in order to justify injustice, then we are speaking the same language, part of the same people. I am constantly in combat poetry with the people's identities. I agree, it's all so romantic. I remember writing poetry for the people, but it's important to stop and ask, who are the people anyhow? Who is it that they think they are? Shia, Muslim, Jewish, Catholic, Christian, Arabic, Latina, woman, the identities we wear like winter sweaters take time to unravel. This is what I am. No, it's not. Or it is because you make it so. Dare to remove the wool from your own eyes, you might see something more beautiful, even better. There is no sense in reappropriating words like towelhead and nigger. I disagree with Fanon. Critique the limits in his love of nation. For the nation negates the true history of abuse suffered by the people. The colonizer came long before colonization. The macro parasite of economic exploitation came during the brutal Persian Wars, the expansion of the Mexica, the racism of the Mongols. To pretend that man did not feed off of the bodies of other men before Europe is limiting. Pretends that slavery is a new concept. But to read Fanon is to feel like Lenin, that there are other dreamers, and that I'm not the only one, that someone else has seen through the traditions others' mistake as culture, too. So I will continue to piss people off by asking, what are you so proud of? A religion that was foisted upon you by the logic of convert or die? Like Muhammad and the people of Mecca on his way back from exile in Medina, or as in the Fourth Crusade of Christians against Christians in Constantinople and Disgrace? Let us not pretend it is about anything but economics. To be proud of the language that was not the tongue of your ancestors, to be proud of your identity that is little more than accepted stereotype defined in relationship to the rich or white is beyond reason. If you were an African deciding to speak Chinese, I could understand. But to be uncritically proud of an inheritance, I may as well be proud my eyes are brown." I can follow this line of thinking. If for many years I am told that brown is bad and white is good, I may one day realize I have been lied to, but to turn around and fiercely proclaim brown power and pound my chest in rage, well, how is this progress? When I was 19, a student at Berkeley, we would demonstrate. We were making political statements. We wore shirts that said, we are Arab, until I broke away from me and asked, do I know what that really means? I know what it means to be an Iraqi immigrant born with Iranian blood in Kuwait, raised in a U.S. border town where everyone assumed I was Mexican. Can I speak for Arabs? What is this idea of Arab? Does it really help in the struggle for justice? Or does it raise another difference between us to keep us from a common purpose, a search for a man who is not Arab or Jew but equal? It is perfectly correct to be against injustice. It is a limited perspective to think that somehow you can fight this by clinging to a culture. You are saving an imagined thing in a war against another imagined thing in a strange reality you had no role in creating. Better to act on a dream. Though the road to your real self is difficult, it is the only way out of a world of one vast concentration camp of them versus us. Let go of the spiritual adventures. Let go of the status quo. Let go of the labels that are not truly meaningful. Be the woman in full. We're going to go back up now on the upside. (laughs) I'm I'm going pretty gnarly. First, a toast. Let's have a toast. What shall we toast to? Now, let's toast to. Tapuna uh, Press. Yeah, p- to Puna Press. If you've got a drink in your hands and mine's just empty now, Tapuna Press. Woo! Hey, hey. Woo! I'm having a Petrus sour. <laughs> Petrus, please. <laughs> Thanks, Ted. I got your next round. All right. <laughs> the roll of. Mmm. Too sad. <laughs> Let's do this one. (laughs) I think this one is happy. Let's see. Sort of. Okay, well, I can't make promises. The Uplifted Foot. (laughs) The night air felt cool against my skin. We sat opposite each other in wooden chairs on the concrete apartment patio in abstract conversation. The dim lights of Little Italy, a pretty backdrop in our momentary universe. The smoke appeared out of thin air, hung there between us. I waited for the fragrance of cigarettes to hit my nose, for my own lips to purse, for the gut disgust to take hold before I could breathe it all in. The smoke became a look, became a little bird who told me, told on me, became human, became my friend, and then some innocent-looking question. So, you've been writing poetry. I had been expecting this, but didn't know when I would be asked or what I would say. It was like waiting for death. All of a sudden, I felt this intense release, almost felt like laughing, because at least it finally came and waited to hear my own explanation with deep curiosity. With some out-of-body experience awareness, I list all of my unfinished business, my newly birthed hedonistic impulses that had never surfaced so powerfully before that refused to wait any longer. Tortured, I tell of the nagging guilt that hangs over my shoulder over every to-do list like some annoying angel judging my shortcomings while I ignore not able to fully make love to the devil or be truly good. And I loathe her with some bitter resentment that I have to be responsible. There's this internal struggle for balance over what part of me will live and die, over whether I will achieve or write. The dance of Shiva seems so attractive. I flirt with the idea of the uplifted foot freed from this earthly bondage. The bird says, maybe it's an energetic block. It's like when I have a lot of work I haven't done and I am out trying to have fun. I can't really enjoy myself. Half of me is there and half of my attention is elsewhere. Maybe you need to complete your tasks. The guilt, the angel, the resentment, the weight of inertia all come flooding back, holding me prisoner, both feet on the ground, keeping me from the fullest expression of myself, killing the choreography I seek, killing creation and poetry. The hourglass calls. It's getting late, I say. In so many ways, which I keep to myself, we part, a little universe dissolves. At dawn, birds chirp and sing and talk. Inviting me to join the chorus, I embrace my energetic block and write with one foot held aloft. Yay! Thank you. Perfect. Cheers. Cheers, cheers. This one's really fun. It was inspired by an n p r story about the way in which people speak and uh, uh when I wrote it, I remember ted was uh, had probably heard the same story it was it's the uh and um thing. I love this one. It's so much fun. so um, I guess I'll get started. <laughs> All right, it's called uh radio Story, okay uh, let the first recorded word be uh. Burrs and errs and non-rhyming words. How we speak, speaks so much to how we see ourselves. Subtle, subtle linguistic cues. And that pausing, that pausing, just beautiful. And uhs, errs, verbal blunders, or filling space, colonizing conversations with their manliness. Uh, takes its sweet time. Signaling that I, I, uh... I have all of the time. And you, um, woman, you don't get to interrupt me. Uh, That oral placeholder, the I'm not done speaking, I'm just cogitating. Uh, Is it about power or is it about poor public speaking? Is there a modern stigma to the hesitation that 1888 oration didn't hate on? Is uh the manifestation of Obama, a bold black presidential power sort of uh or uncertainty? Uh, unsure about what you mean to say while still claiming so much verbal space, pissing in lingual landscapes, marking my space like, this is still mine, uh, don't fuck with me, uh, I'm thinking. Then there is the receiving of uh, the listening to uh, but it's like uh is finding its way to the exact word, reaching, and it is brutal. Seeing uh come up so so short so often, especially when it seems to be an unconscious verbal crutch, especially as I am trying to um follow you down the rabbit hole. Uh, is it just a nervous tick or excess self-consciousness? I mean, do you, uh, when you are in the throes of passion at those ultimate uninhibited moments? Um, no. No? No, you wouldn't. Maybe, uh, is just way too sober. Is, uh, an expression of the collision of your self-consciousness and your semi-conscious thinking? Or is it just a train wreck? Inchoate thought, sinking sort of simultaneously with speech, a bottleneck of potential omniscience as it releases into language the way the Titanic turns. Does the gravitas of the pause feel more agreeable before or after I uh, finish? I'll close with that one. <laughs> Thank you, guys. It's been really nice to be here, Woo. and thank you for the drink.
0: You're welcome.